Thanks for coming to Media Club. I'm Clara. So we have Hazel. If you want to say hi. Hello. And we have Enya. Hello. And we have Adrian. Hello. We'll talk about Afropian. One thought slash question I had was I read and heard great reviews of this book. You know, I have friends like Hazel bring it, you know, and you nominated it. I knew to be good. I just found myself reaching for like quote unquote easy books and I knew I wanted to get into this book. There was just this mental barrier, like I in the right mental space. You need to dedicate a chunk of time. Like it's going to be really tough for you to take breaks. And I, I don't know why that is there like with these types of books and how, if it's like possible to get over that barrier so just wondering what you all thought about that well I think he gives a lot of information like lots of historical information like refers to quotes from other people so I'm not surprised like especially reading it like physically reading the book I'm not surprised you felt like that like I'm really glad I actually listened to that as an audio book I think after finishing it I was like I'm glad. And also he reads it himself, which is nice. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think for me, I often like to listen to nonfiction books. That's quite, I think often with nonfiction books, it can be a bit slow going and I often just have them going on in the background, mm-hmm. like slowly, like I don't really rush them normally because mm-hmm. it's a lot of information to take in. Yeah, because, because he's talking about his experience. It's not, you know, somebody who writes a fiction book they dress up the story and they think about the storyline and because this is his personal experience and you know as interesting it is for people to hear about it it's not it doesn't grip you it doesn't you know it doesn't really turn into a page page turner and you want to know what's going to happen next and I also feel like with a historical background it's not necessarily dry but it's harder to read than I don't know something in flowery language or something in that's written in a way that engages the reader more so I feel like there were a few bits in the part that I read where I was like oh this is really surprising and I read it out to Peter and I was like you know this I want to come back to and I want to look it up but it's not like oh I can't wait to hear what happens next because it's just not written in that way, I think. Um, I also think that like, I mean, when I'm going to read works that are engaging with a lot of like representations of identity and racism, it's like, you know, at a certain level that it will not be comfortable to read, you know? So I think in some respects, like, I mean, because it's, it's going against like, the kind of established worldview that we've grown up with in that way, you know, like you kind of feel like, oh, I know that I'm probably going to read some things or experience some content that makes me feel uncomfortable, and which I mean, it should, obviously. But in that sense, like sometimes there can be this kind of like hesitance, especially if you don't feel very like in a mentally good place. I think it can be hard to kind of engage with those types of works. Like, for example, I think that a lot of times, like if I'm, you know, not doing so well mentally, feeling depressed, feeling sad or whatever, I want to gravitate towards those really frothy things like, you know, rom-coms or, you know, something like that, or like, you know, uh, or like Asian dramas, like Korean dramas or something, something that like, it doesn't really make me challenge those types of like worldview and make me have to rethink, you know, things that, that I've like grown up with or believed in. And, you know, so I think that obviously like we do need 
you know, works that do challenge these types of things and do make us feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, I think when you're not in a mentally good place, then kind of put up a barrier that you feel like maybe you're not like in a good place to handle it right now. I don't know. I think that that's also an aspect of it. And maybe that's kind of like, you know, selfish to say like as a uh, Asian American or something of like, oh, I, I just didn't want to engage with the content right now. But, you know, I think there's also a level of trying to protect yourself and keep yourself, you know, in a good place too. So it's kind of a balance. Wow. Yeah. All three of you have made very particular points. It just kind of made me think, I guess I'm struggling at the moment to find a balance for crying in HMAR, for example. Oh man, I put that up for a long time because I knew I probably be really sad and you know what when I read it I did cry I was sad but it was so worth trying to like balance between like protecting myself but also realizing you need to at some point you need to challenge so you need to read it uh two specific points I want to mention because I have not finished the book I will finish the book so he Johnny Pitts the author he talks about Sheffield and because I worked in Sheffield I had my own set of first impressions before I went to work in those schools and having his historical take on it, like all the dots connected, and just my own experience of what I've experienced in Sheffield's higher education with like racism. It's it's like racist, but as he so poignantly put it, like it is also like diverse, right? It is like a mishmash. So I I just felt like, wow, this is hitting really, really close to home. I don't, I'm not quite sure how I, I feel about that. But also he talks about how he goes to Paris and he goes on the historical black tour in Paris, right? And there's a dude, is it like James or something? I forgot, he's black American. And he's kind of romanticizing Paris. And the tour guide says something like, do you think that racism doesn't exist here? Because it, it does, it's just to a different level that it is in the States. And I feel like that's a theme I can relate with all the time that I think people here look at racism in the US, they see it so like conflated, whereas where they're looking over here at Europe, they're like, oh, it isn't like that bad, right? Because when I grew up in the US, I kind of learned that slavery was abolished in Europe. It's all great and flowery. So that's what that reminded me of. I haven't finished a book like I said, so I might be missing the larger context. Like I said, I listened to it quite a long time ago, so I can't remember in detail, but I remember I thought it was really good because yeah, it's a combination of his own experience traveling around quite a mixed bag of European countries. I know he goes to Russia, France, uh, maybe in the Netherlands or Belgium or maybe both. Both, I think. Oh, yeah. Portugal. Yeah, he goes to Portugal, which is really interesting. But yeah, I liked it because, yeah, it's his experience. He talks a lot about the people he meets along the way and all kinds of different people he meets along the way, like maybe things they said. or And then he talks about the history of the place. But it may not necessarily be people from those countries. If I remember rightly, he talks a lot about James Baldwin in France, living there and working there. So it's just like a really interesting mix of, yeah, his experience people he meets along the way the history culture culture of different communities different black communities in these countries i thought it was a really like a lot in one book <laughs> a lot put together in one book yeah it seems like that yeah. and i feel like it, it wasn't an easy task and i think there's a disclaimer at the beginning where he says oh yeah you know i've only been to mostly one city in these countries and you know you you obviously can't meet people who represent
than the whole group. And I, I thought it was a shame because I saw one review online that criticized him for, you know, oh, you only talked to this group in Berlin and you only did this. But I feel like, what did you expect? I mean, there's no monolith and he can't talk to somebody who represents every single group he would have found in Europe. Mm. So um, I feel like the way the book is set out, you know, he goes and he backpacks. There's only so much he can do and only so many people he can speak to along the way. And a lot of groups he probably wouldn't encounter unless he specifically looked for them. So I feel like for, for the size of the book there, you know, he couldn't have included a lot more things. So I think that's a challenge for him anyway. Mm, yeah, from what you're saying, actually, I think it's good the way he goes really into detail about some specific communities. I remember the chapter about Portugal was really, really interesting. And he just goes into one specific community and he either makes friends, like I think he makes friends with a guy who lives there and he like is his guide, basically. Yeah, I'm sure he does the same in other countries. Yeah, in Russia, he talks to, or he tries to talk to students, but I don't think that really works out very well. It's kind of more like real in-depth into like specific communities, which I think is actually better because you you get like some general history along the way, but then you also get ethnographic kind of things, yeah. which I like. Yeah. Like, I mean, I feel like even if you talk to more people, like people would, would still not be satisfied because there is no way that yeah. you could talk to everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, of course not. you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just the way it is, unfortunately. And I mean, like, I think it is good that he recognizes it's a kind of limited study and it is more just kind of like cherry picking certain like well maybe not cherry picking per se but like you know it's just like a, a limited sample of different different people like it, it can't be the whole thing yeah I mean I didn't only read oh I've only listened to the first part I only got Paris so far so hopefully I'll be able to finish it later on <laughs> but yeah I did I mean like as an American who has you know, not lived in Europe. I don't really know what the European lived experience is. So I did think it was very interesting that he happened to start off with, I think it was Jimmy, but the African-American who came from the States. And I thought that was a really interesting way of kind of showing some of the ways in which Europe might be different than other areas like the US. And yeah, there were some parts that really stood out to me, the internalized racism that Jimmy had against other Black people that he saw and he was was like making fun of their clothes and stuff it just made me feel so sad to like that he had internalized that you know it happens to all of us <laughs> yeah. yeah so that part really stood out to me and I also thought the phrase when they were talking about commodifying blackness and how the U.S. was exporting blackness I thought that was also really interesting type of observation to me yeah. anyway those were the things that really stood out to me so far you just reminded me so when he's on en route to Paris via the Eurostar how he just stays in a seat and all the workers cleaning up after the passengers are black how there is this how does he put it he says something like it's undeniable that even after colonization that black people are predominantly cleaning up after they're mostly white passengers and there's this like disparity and like I couldn't help but think of maybe this is not comparable I'm not quite sure why this just came to mind but like you know whenever I travel Asia or like when I'm in Korea like I'm I'm with Peter, you know, like a Korean Ajima or like older ladies, you know, after us, whatever. I have this intense sense of discomfort. Should I interact with you? 
as a local person or should I interact with you as like a white facing customer because I, I just I don't this this dynamic is so weird to me because it is an effective result of colonization that there is this lingering sense that mostly white passengers are treated better and but it's and for me like it's easier to just kind of hide behind Peter and like pretend I can't speak Korean or just kind of like let, let it slide and sometimes when I do see workers of color like in train stations or whatever they're cleaning up after you know and I like say thank you or like whatever there is this like shared understanding I, I don't know I'm not quite sure like why that scene like stood out to me so much but it, it's just kind of like this lingering sense that this gap is going to last for a very very long time and he even says but then politician is saying they're stealing our job like well what job it, it's just so powerful my mind especially you know with like the refugee situation going on now and like there's this whole argument like they're gonna steal our jobs like what do you mean I mean what are what are your other like lingering thoughts on this book I mean obviously we need to finish it but, on the book I don't yeah. want to spoil it but I and I'm worried I'm confusing it with other things as well if I remember rightly there's like a really horrible scene where he's on a train and like experiences like racism from other passengers and he just sits there and just I can't remember what country's in I think he might be in England to be oh, honest. great unfortunately <laughs> and it's something about uh, just the way they're speaking to him and he's like in a situation where he just feels like to keep himself safe he just has to do what they say and just sit there and go along with it and it's just if that's same book I'm sure it is that's like yeah really uncomfortable horrible so you just reminded me because you were talking about the Eurostar and it just yeah. popped back in my head yeah that was horrible it's good for like people to read that and be aware like that these situations happen um I think I there was a section in there about how the Roma people are now viewed in Sheffield and how oh, yeah and I, I thought that was very interesting and I was like oh yeah because there's so much talk about it now and I, I like that he compared it to how it was I think it was in the 50s and the 60s and he was like you know this is what life was like this is what this street looked like then and now everybody's appalled you know things progress and they change so I thought that was really really nice that he also included a different group of people even though he was speaking as a Afropean. Um, yeah. Oh, that's another thing I wanted to just quite surprised that the word Afropean isn't used more because I feel like mm-hmm. apart from this book, I barely ever hear or see it anywhere because it does encapsulate something that's often missing in the conversation, I think. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I just oh made two points. No, that, those are excellent points. Yeah, why Why isn't it used more? Like, it's such a good encapsulating term. I wonder if they have words like that in other languages because in the UK, you know what it's like. They're like, oh, I'm going to Europe for a trip people forget that they're in Europe so I wonder if in in Europe in like French or German or whatever I wonder if they have this in in German you'll just say black German I guess most countries probably go with country yeah now that this book is out it'll get absorbed into the vernacular like I mean yeah I told Claire Afro-German as a term so that's closer to Afropean but yeah wait sorry is it more common for you to say Afro-German versus Black German? No. And actually, once I attended something at the university and there was some Black woman from Berlin and she said that she never really thought of herself as a Black German until she came here because she just always considered herself as African even though she was born in Germany. Uh, Germany sorry. She was always referred to as the African person even though she wasn't born Africa mm-hmm. but in Germany. Talk about other- <laughs> but she seems to be confused that she shouldn't be yeah. so yeah I guess it, it depends on what you grew up with yeah I was just gonna say 
I said to Claire recently, I was like really pleasantly surprised because I saw three copies of Afropean in that big bookstore in Seoul. Oh, the underground great. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> What's it doing here? What? No, no, no. In English, in English. <laughs> it, but it was like in the English book section. But I was like, cool, because I, I had a feeling that that book would be maybe really for a British audience or maybe a European audience. I didn't, I don't know, because maybe he's more famous than I think. I don't know. I just didn't imagine his book turning into an international success, especially in Korea, for example. Like it was- yeah, I'm happy about that. <laughs> so I was like, okay, cool. Because I think probably even though it's the English book section, I imagine the main customers in that English book section are Koreans who want to read English books. So I was like, okay. you looking for the English book. Um, but he's yeah, also I mean, American, so maybe. Very, uh, yeah. Um, but no, mm-hmm. that's, that's that's pleasant news. Yeah, I mean, this is a good. It it does also read like a good identity finding searching for identity book. So it does. Mm-hmm. I hope it is globalized. Um, yeah, I mean, like like I said before, like I mean, I, I haven't read that much of it, so I would like to finish it. But also, like just as like a North American, it was kind of very interesting to read just because it's like whole world I don't know anything about and actually I was really interested to hear Sabrina's thoughts on it it's too bad she couldn't make it today <laughs> I was like, right. I really know has she read it <laughs> not yet but don't worry I'll be reminding her to read it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I mean like yeah she talked about her and her sister's experiences traveling in Italy before I remember was yeah. it also in in Vienna she said that she felt really mm. uncomfortable on the train in Vienna I remember her saying that mm. ah, and the Cotswold, the uh, Cotswold. Cotswold. yeah oh no all we need to know. but yeah don't know we will I will remind her to read Take it we will all remind her <laughs> to read it <laughs> Uh, I just checked and it's been translated in quite a few languages. Oh, has it? Cool. Which languages? Just out of curiosity. There's definitely German and French. I would have have thought that's Italian, but because this didn't happen in Italy, well, he didn't go to Italy. I'd be surprised if it was, uh, it looks like Italian to me. So maybe it has been translated into Italian, even though that didn't really feature. Because I thought, you know, it made most sense if it was translated into the languages where he went to yeah. visit and I know yeah, he yeah. didn't go to Italy you know at least those I don't know how how widely they were read nice to know that there's an option Ooh. oh and there's a Dutch one too Ooh. oh I think That's he goes really to the thing. Netherlands yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah to Amsterdam I think yeah mm. just zooming widely out for a second I think people don't quite realize like, what a big deal it is in general to like backpack across Europe on a train and to do it when you're of when you're black or like mixed race like that is a big mm-hmm. deal because you know like I watch blogs about backpackers going through the Alps and you know the outdoor space it, it is white and male and I think mm-hmm. that is something that I mean it, in my perspective is not really discussed mm-hmm. you need to be at a you need to have the time you need to be financially comfortable or be willing to not be comfortable to do it and you're you know like it's unsafe so for him alone to just like trek on this journey is a huge deal actually that is something that I want to talk about as well in like a future season like outdoor activities are like very um exclusive to certain communities so yeah i don't know i just found that that is what appealed to me like when i first heard it from hazel and yeah like oh my god this dude is going through europe alone on a train yeah including russia crazy yeah Mm -hmm. i guess like he does have the benefit of being male i wonder Mm -hmm. what yeah (laughs) i don't know that's like a whole whole different topic Mm -hmm. 
I think I'd like to know how it would be now because I think that was about 10 years ago that he did the trip. So oh, yeah. I wonder how, how, if things have changed and how they've changed. And, True. you know, even also with growth of social media, if it would be different if he was, you know, I don't know, having his journey on Instagram and people were following him along and coming to see him when they know he's in the city, that kind of stuff. Because that would be very different True. to the way he explored it this time. Do you guys think it would have been safer or it would have been equally as bad? I don't know anything about Europe, guys. <laughs> I hope I hope it would be safer. Yeah. I think there will be elements that are less safe, but I think overall, I hope it would be safer. Yeah. I want to be surprised if someone else does this trip. There will be a vlogger on YouTube that'll be doing it. Do it. We'll find out about it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah there might there might be Facebook groups of people who kind of share their experiences who are in a mm-hmm. similar situation. So I'm so sorry I didn't finish it, but thank you so much for nominating it and for bringing it up again. Hazel, I will finish it, but I'll... <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a, it'll be a good one, but... It's, it's always- worth reading, like stick with it take your time yeah stick with it as well yeah but he's he's a phenomenal writer like his details Mm, yeah he's good ah there's no way easy way to transition but what did you think of passing the whole way through from when they met i had this feeling of anxiety this didn't go away (laughs) until the end so i i feel like that would be one of the reasons why i could see actually you know if i hadn't been in the right frame of mind i probably would have been like no sorry um I'm not having this but yeah it, it was there the whole time and it was always this this sense of oh my goodness this is awkward and I don't know what to do with it but yeah mm. yeah yeah and there should be a happen? term for that mm. just like building the tension you know like mm. <laughs> but it's like because you're on. nervous for the like it's a different element of her we should get by we had Maisha on the pod and she investigates horror and like the gothic and I feel like this is a specific type of core anxiety because you're like nervous because it's emotional it's not creepy it's it's this emotional yeah yeah like emotional anxiety I don't know well there needs to be a term but what did you um Adrian and Hazel like what did you did you feel that like emotional anxiety I think I probably did I watched it quite a while ago now, but I think I did. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I remember being. I remember being worried, like what was going to happen to this person and this person. I was worried about quite a lot of the characters. Yeah, yeah. I think like yeah. in Vanishing Half, I also had that that kind of anxiety as well. I mean, like yeah. there's already like once you know that like I don't know that she's like passing and she's trying. She's like putting herself in this situation, which and then like they set up with like the husband talking about like how much he hates black people and stuff it was just like oh no (laughs) so yeah that that was very stressful I did think one thing that was interesting though is that it focused mainly on Irene's point of view right it's like all around her as the central character even though there is type of that type of like anxiety of like oh no like what's going to happen to Claire right her name is Claire (laughs) Um, like even though there's that anxiety like we actually don't see Claire having to like do the work of trying to like go through her everyday life or you know like trying to pass every day so kind of interesting because like we actually don't get any information about like how her everyday life is what kind of like if there are things that she feels like she has to do or there are moments that she's anxious in her everyday life they aren't really shown it's all just like Irene's kind of perspective of like 
her being anxious for Claire. And then also like later on, like Claire coming into her life and then her also being anxious about her own life because of Claire. I think that that was kind of an interesting way of, I don't know, it's like different types of anxiety and it kind of like gave us a limited viewpoint which kind of made us more anxious, but then it kind of transferred the anxiety from being anxious about Claire to being like anxious about Irene. <laughs> so it's <was> like, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was a very, it was, it was an intense movie. Like I, I think artistically, I really enjoyed it. I personally was not a fan of the voice that Tessa Thompson was using. I think oh. that kind of took me out of it a little bit. I didn't like the like. <laughs> I, don't know, I felt like it was a little bit overdone. Oh, um, interesting. I don't know. Yeah. It just, it seemed a little bit over the top to me, a little bit too like uh, caricature-ish. So mm. I, I didn't really like that type of voice that she was using. It seemed too much like, oh yes, I'm in the olden times. Yeah, <laughs> now you're saying it. Now you're saying it. I, I definitely. <laughs> I, her acting was incredible. It was just like mm. the voice. So I felt that that was kind of a little bit of a shame because it, it did take me out of it a little bit. It was just like, why are you talking like that? <laughs> Can you just talk normally? <laughs> anyway, sorry, I went on a tangent, but those were my thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, what you were saying about um, Claire, we don't know why she's actually got herself into that situation in the first place. Mm -hmm. So you don't know how to feel about that. Like, do we feel sorry for her? Or is she like, did she, like, why did she do that in the first place? I think we don't know, right? She said like she was like adopted by her like very white aunts. And then, Uh, and then that's, and then she met her husband like after that and then they got married. So you would kind of get like a little bit of like a, a snippet of it, but we don't really hear like her like mental process you know yeah because maybe she, she had no that. money like yeah I so mean, it's kind of like why did she make situation. that decision like was it mm. to find a sense of security because I think she was an orphan and that's yeah. why she was taken in by her aunt so like maybe yeah. it was because of like just to get a sense of security and she was like too scared to say no to him I don't know like because then mm. like later on it seems she's not like she doesn't really love her husband and so like you're not really mm. sure like oh is this did you not really love him like from the beginning and you kind mm. of made these choices for a sense of security or maybe she was in love with him in the beginning and then she fell out of love or you know like so I think it would have also been very interesting to learn more about Claire's mental like state as she was making these decisions but we don't really get that it's just Irene's view of Claire's life you know so did did that bother you because I I found it hard to empathize Claire I didn't Mm. like her very much and I wonder if that's because we don't know what was behind her decision because I I I saw him more as this intruder who barges into Irene's life and takes over is very needy in her way of approaching people and wanting attention and I feel like that kind of took away that you know very human side of her that's fragile and broken and need all these kinds of things and has made the decision that she's made in the past you know we don't know much about her and her daughter I feel like for for a mother we don't get very much from that side you know yeah she she plays with the boys but then you know where where is her mothering to her daughter and all of that yeah I think it really was a very conscious decision to center it around Irene and to have us sympathize with Irene I think it would have been a very different story if we had seen more of Claire's side I think maybe it would have been a little bit more like for example Vanishing Half or something where it was a more balanced view of both sides but I don't know because like in some respect but I, I think that was a very conscious choice by the the film creators because that really shaped like how the story 
unfolded and ended. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't tell Claire. Which I won't say anything about. <laughs> no, I, I, you I know. think that they really built up to it by giving yeah. us sympathy to yeah. Irene. So, you know. I feel like in The Vanishing Half, the one who was passing, I can't remember her name, but she yeah. seemed more hostile because even at, there was this community meeting, it's been a while since I read it, but there was a community meeting about whether Black people can move into the neighborhood. And she, you know, she stood up, stood up in the meeting and said, actually, you know, we shouldn't want them here. So that seemed more hostile than Claire was because Claire, mm-hmm. I mean, she might have with her husband, you know, she let him talk, but she didn't actually engage in, I mean, she giggled and that is her way of hiding I guess but she wasn't actually hostile and then when they were alone she was the opposite of hostile really where the lady in vanishing half was insulting or not very nice to the neighbor and the child even when nobody was around I feel like it was more negative than it was in in passing yeah like in um in passing it was more like she only acted like that in front of the husband and then when she like entered their community she just kind of like forgot everything and just like was herself or so it seemed so just yeah when I was watching passing I also didn't like the character Claire that much but then I watched a couple of interviews with the I think director and the actresses and stuff and they were like really sympathizing with Claire and just like imagining as if maybe it's in the book um imagining that like she definitely did have her reasons for getting in that situation and the director um the reason I think it's the director or producer whatever the reason why she made the film is because she has this in her family history she said something about I think her grandfather was passing in his life and it was related to trauma related to his her great-grandfather who was really involved in like civil rights stuff but a lot of his like close people got killed because of their work and so the grandfather was traumatized and it came from that so the act actresses and actors and the director seemed really sympathetic towards Claire and so after I watched their interview (laughs) I was like ah like it made me think from another point of view because I don't want to spoil anything for Claire but I don't like the way uh, Claire behaves towards Irene's husband for example like mm. it's weird I think it is interesting though because like at first like I was also very like not sympathetic towards Claire at all but then like later when I thought about it more I was like what did she really do that was wrong maybe she did maybe she didn't it's not really clear but at the same time it just felt like like and and we are seeing it like from Irene's point of view as well so we're not sure like how much things are exaggerated because it's like through Irene's like lens so it was weird because like after I finished it I was like well you know like whatever Claire (laughs) (laughs) but then like when I thought about it later I was like actually like I don't think she did anything you know that was really like like awful or bad you know she was just trying to look for a place that she belonged and maybe in some ways she kind of like was a bit too like selfish or a bit too needy but at the same time it actually was I think more about like Irene's reactions and feelings rather than anything that Claire did. Okay, I'm super curious to watch it. <laughs> well, one of my reactions after watching the film actually is partly because of like Claire we don't really know that much about her and also I'm not going to say too much but the window scene I really wanted to know exactly what happened so I got the book on my Kindle like immediately afterwards and I haven't read it yet because it was a two-in-one and I read the writer's other book which was called Quicksand it was she's such a good writer that book is 
yeah, depressing and heavy. She's such a good writer. I was really impressed. Like, you know, especially when something was written like almost a hundred years ago, it's so readable now and you can get completely involved and absorbed in it. And so, yeah, I really want to read the book and find out, I don't know, maybe it's as a, it doesn't give you the answers, but I really want to read the book and mm. find out some more details if possible. That was one of my reactions after watching yeah. it. Yeah, felt depressed, but I, I wanted to know more about the story like did I miss something I think it was the the moment of wow what just happened I feel like that was that was how how I ended watching it because I was rewinding it and I was like yeah you watched it again oh my god no no, because I was like what happened I don't understand and I looked up on Wikipedia I was like did I because I often miss stuff in films I often have to look up on Wikipedia and see did I miss something and maybe Wikipedia had the answer maybe it didn't I don't know I kind of I felt it coming like ever since they were walking up the stairs and they had the conversation before the party I was like oh shit oh shit like that was not the right thing to say Um, but thanks so much for making the time. I will pester Sabrina to watch it, uh, to, to read it. But yeah, okay, cool. Take care, Good everyone. Thank you. I will nice see you soon. Bye. Thanks again. Bye. Bye.